The birch bark house is organized in chapters, and then those chapters are organized by the seasons. So we begin with summer, also called Nibin. Chapter 1. The Birch Bark House. She was named Omakayas, or Little Frog, because her first step was a hop. She grew into a nimble young girl of seven winters, a thoughtful girl with shining brown eyes and a wide grin, only missing her top two front teeth. She touched her upper lip. She still wasn't used to those teeth gone, and was impatient for new, grown-up teeth to complete her smile. Just like her namesake, Omakayas now stared long at the silky patch of bog before she gathered herself and jumped. One hummock. Safety. Omakayas sprang wide again. This time she landed on a very tip-top of a pointed old stump. She balanced there, looking all around. The lagoon water moved in sparkling crescents. Thick swales of swamp grass rippled. Mud turtles napped in the sun. The world was so calm that Omakayas could hear herself blink. Only the sweet call of a solitary white-throated sparrow pierced the cool of the woods beyond. All of a sudden, Grandma yelled, I found it! Startled, Omakayas slipped and spun her arms and wheels. She teetered, but somehow kept her balance. Two big skipping hops, another leap, and she was on dry land. She stepped over spongy leaves and moss into the woods where the sparrows sang nesting songs and delicate relays. Where are you? Noko Miss yelled again. I found the tree. I'm coming, Omakayas called back to her grandmother. It was spring. Time to cut the birch bark. All winter long, Omakayas's family lived in a cabin of sweet-scented cedar at the edge of the village of La Pointe on an island in Lake Superior that her people called Moningwanayakening, Island of the Golden-Breasted Woodpecker. As soon as the earth warmed, the birch bark house always took shape under Nokomis's swift hands. Now the dappled light of, her, of tiny new leaves moved on Grandma's beautiful, softly lined face. In one hand, she waved her sharp knife, taken from the beaded pouch on her hip. In the other hand, she held tobacco. Nokomis was ready to make an offering to the spirits, or manatus. They loved tobacco. Omakeas banged the tree her grandmother had found. Yes, here, here it is, this one. Omakeas was skinny, wiry, and tough for seven winters. She slammed the trunk of the birch with a big rotten stick. Splinters of soft wood flew. Booney, Nokomis scolded. Leave it alone. She walked up to the tree and put her leathery paw like hands on the smooth bark, feeling for flaws. Yes, she decided, her eyes sparkling at her granddaughter. A good one. Is it ready? Giget, said Nokomis. Surely. Nokomis's tobacco patch was decorated with blue and white beads in the shape of a pipe. She had owned this tobacco bag ever since Amakayas could remember. When she talked to the Manitous, Nokomis dipped out a pinch of tobacco. Old sister, she said to the birch bark tree, we need your skin for our shelter. At the base of the tree, Noko Miss left her offering, sweet and fragrant. Then she peered closely, deciding just where to make the first cut. Suddenly, she pressed her razor-sharp knife into the bark. Omakaya stepped back. Light filtered golden and green onto her, their faces. Tiny white flowers poked out of dead leaves. 
There were still traces of grainy old snowbanks in the shadiest spots, but in places the sun was actually hot. Pow! As soon as Grandma made the proper cuts, the birch bark, filled with spring water, nearly burst from the tree. Amakas helped her grandmother carefully push the bark aside. Then the two peeled it away, strip by strip. She and Omakayas carried the light, papery, pink-brown rolls of the, out of the woods down a trail to a special place near the water. Here, they set up the birch bark house. Damp ground made Noko Mrs. Bone, old bones ache. So she spread out her brown cattail mat and sat down there to sew those pieces of bark together. Omakayas helped her, threading the tough basswood strands through holes punched by Grandma's awl. Meanwhile, Mama and Omakayas's older sister tied together a frame of bent willow poles. Finally, as the light faded, they fastened the mats of bark onto the willow frame, a half-skeleton of pliable saplings. The bark mats overlapped like shingles to shed the rain. Each one was secured to the next, so as not to blow off in the storm. When the house was swept out, smoothed, fussily arranged, and admired, they moved in. The children, Omakayas's brother, Little Pinch, Baby Niwo, Omakayas's older sister, Pretty Angeline, and Omakayas herself, spread their blankets around the stone fire pit. Mama and Noko Miss hung the smoky woven bags of rice and tools and medicines from the willow poles above. Omakayas's family were Anishinaabe, and this was their island. Their, her father, her Dede, was in the fur trade business, which meant that he was often gone, paddling the great canoes for the fur company, or sometimes trapping animals himself. Yellow Kettle, her mother, was quick-tempered, but always laughing, and her eyes shrewdly took in the world. Yellow Kettle was a strong-looking woman, and beautiful. Her smile was generous, enigmatic, slightly crooked, and kind. She missed nothing when it came to her children. It was impossible to hide a half-done job, ridiculous to think of sneaking away in the morning before gathering wood for the fire and water for her cooking pot. And if Mama didn't notice the younger children's whereabouts, Omakaas's older sister, Angeline, surely would. Angeline was smart, and so pretty people turned in their tracks to stare at her. Her hair was thick, her hands clever, the beads in her designs were laid down in strict rows. Her stitches never faltered. Her steps, when she walked or danced, were clear and graceful. She was so perfect that Omakaas despaired. Still, she hoped that she herself would turn out like Angeline, and was sometimes embarrassed to find herself following at Angeline's heels like a puppy. Most of the time, Angeline was kind to Omakaas, and let her tag along and admire from a distance, but there were also times her words were sharp as bee stings. And at those times, Omakayas shed tears her sister never knew, or probably even cared about. For as very beautiful people sometimes are, Angeline could be just a little cold-hearted at times. Omakayas's little brother, Pinch, was the only really big problem in her life. The sad truth was, and she couldn't tell this to a single person, Omakayas didn't like little Pinch. She thought there was something wrong with him, so greedy, so loud. But although his ways were mischievous and bold, Pinch loved his mother deeply, and he clung to her side. 
In fact, he took up all her attention, even more than the baby. He clutched Mama's skirts with fat, tough little fingers. He held it Omaka as, as if she was slow in giving up her willow doll. Her little rock people, or anything else for that matter, including food. Special pieces of driftwood she found, even her favorite sleeping place near Grandma. He thought he deserved everything. At least when it came to Niwo, there was nothing to complain about. He was so sweet that Omakayas often pretended that he was her own very little baby. Of course, she hardly ever got to hold him, for he was still very young. Still, she was sure she, he preferred her to Angeline, and certainly to Pinch. Sometimes he even held his arms out to her when Mama was holding him, and yelled with delight when Omakayas picked him up. As it grew dark, the family ate makuks of moose stew and fresh greens and berries, licked their fingers and bowls clean, and at last rolled themselves into warm, fluffy rabbit-skin blankets that still smelled of the cedary smoke of their winter cabin. They were glad to be close to fire, sleeping on soft grassy earth, under leafy sky, and best of all near water. They fell asleep to the peaceful, curious, continual lapping sound of waves. The fresh wind across the big lake blew away the smoke of cooking fires and vanquished the mosquitoes that came out in whining droves and had plagued them in town. It was good to sleep where the village dogs didn't bark all night and where the only sound to disturb their dreams was the pine trees sifting wind in a lulling roar. Unless, of course, it stormed. The moon went down to a fingernail's sliver and the corn popped from the ground the leaves of the birch grew big enough to flutter in the wind. And then, one night, the first storm of the summer struck the island and startled everybody from their dreams. The fire was down to red winking eyes when Omakayas woke with an uneasy feeling. Something approached. She'd felt a footstep. Omakayas was always the one to sleep near Grandma, and now she rolled close. There was a lonely insistence to the sound of the wind, and then everything went still. Far off, she heard one huge footstep. There was a long silence. Then another step fell. The earth shook slightly beneath her, vibrated as though she lay on the head of a vast drum. A drum! She remembered that Grandma had said the island was the drum of the thunder beings. Closer and closer they came, shaking earth with their footsteps. Omakayas' lonely feeling became fright. She hid her face and tried not to think of balls of witch fire or the hooting of Grandfather Owl. She tried to keep herself from picturing pakuks, the skeletons of little children, flying through the woods, or the icy breath of giant windigos striding over the ground, cracking trees off with every foot crunch. Another step. Another and another fell, and then the wind howled to life. Rain slashed against the, the tightly sewn walls. A breath of air stirred up the slumbering coals and cast shadows leaping and fighting on the inside walls of the little birch bark house. The willow poles trembled, bouncing with the force of the gusts of wind. The birch bark scraped and flapped, but was held on with tight stitches. Omakayas hid her face as thunder rolled, smacking into the lake shore waking everything and everyone with its quick violence. The storm punished the ground and then passed over, dying off in softer mumbles. The dull thuds of thunder falling in the distance now felt comforting, and before the sounds entirely faded, 
Omakayas was asleep. Moaning Wanayakening, island of the golden-breasted woodpecker, sparkled innocently after that night of raw thunder and lightning. Omakayas woke and immediately began wondering, what had the storm done to the trees? What had the waves washed onto the beach? What interesting bits of wood that she could use for pretend dolls? Hmm, what kind of day would it be? Were the little berries on the edge of the path ripe yet? An unpleasant piece of wondering came to her, too. Had her mother finished scraping and tanning that ugly moose hide, or would she have to help her? Oh, she hoped not. How she hoped. There was a saying she hated. Grandma said it all too often. Each animal, she would say, has just enough brains to tan its own hide. Mama tanned the moose hide with the very brains of the moose, and Omakayas hated the oozy feel of them on her hands, not to mention the boring, endless scraping and rubbing that went into making a hide soft enough for moccasins. From a fire in the center of the birch bark house, a thin curl of smoke rose and then vanished in, through a crescent of sunlight in the roof. If only she could escape with the smoke. She could already hear Mama and Grandma outside the cooking fires. They were planning the day's work. In no time at all, that soaking moose hide would be stretched on a branch frame and she would be required to scrape at it with the sharpened deer's shoulder bone that her mother kept in a bundle of useful things near the door. Her arms would tire. They would feel like falling off. Her fingers would go numb. Her back would hurt. The awful smell would get into her skin. And meanwhile, all the little birds would find the luscious patch of berries she, she alone knew about. By the time she got that stupid old moose hide softened up, they would have eaten every last berry. She must act. Quickly. The air was fresh, delicious, smelling of new leaves in the woods, just popped out mushrooms, the pelts of young deer. The air flowed in, rain-washed, under the strips of birch bark walls she had helped sew together yesterday. Like a small, striped snake, like a salamander, or a squirrel maybe, or a raccoon, something quick, little, harmless, and desperate, she slid, crept, wiggled underneath the sides of the summer house. The seam of bark caught her in the small of her back, stuck tight. If only she hadn't done such a good job of sewing it up. If only, too, Angeline didn't have such quick ears and sure knowledge of her whereabouts at all times. There was a firm pressure suddenly at the small of her back, still caught on the inside. Her sister's foot. Her sister's gloating voice. Nasha May, baby sister, little frog, don't go jumping off. Then there was her mother, rounding the back of the house, one side of her hair still flowing down, unbraided. She glanced in surprise at Omakayas, trapped, and then unable to hide her amusement, a big grin spread across Mama's face. Her admired big sister, her beloved mother, laughing. There was Omakayas, laughter from the front and laughter from behind, and suddenly all of last night's thunder in her heart. Amakaya sat near the cooking fire and slowly, with deep inner fury, ate a bowl of cold stew. She dragged out time, waiting for her hateful job to start. Mama was wrestling that hide out of the stream now, where it had been soaking for days and nights, gathering up its scummy, woolly slime. Mama had already set up the dreaded frame of branches, and there were strings of hide nearby that she would use to tie the skin up tight so it could be worked. 
Amakayas knew how important it was to tan the skin, how her mother would cut up the soft, smoked hide and sew on the winter's moccasins all summer. She pictured her mother finishing them with lovely soft toe puckers so the girl's feet could twitch and dance. She could imagine Yellow Kettle beating them, lining them inside with the silkiest rabbit fur and pieces of an old wool blanket. Yes, it was an important task, but Omakayas still didn't want it. She finished her stew, cleaned the bowl out with sand at the shore of the lake, and waited with a sigh for her mother to ask her to fetch the deer bone scraper. Her mother said something else, though. I need my scissors. Omakaya sat up, suddenly full of energy. Omakaya's mother was well known for owning a pair of scissors, and other women were always borrowing them. Omakaya's first job ever since she could walk was to fetch her mother's scissors, kept, kept safe from her small fingers in a beaded woolen case, and bring them home. She had never failed, for it was a job she liked, not only because she was sometimes given a handful of manomen, rice, or a little chunk of maple sugar by the borrowing lady, but because there were things to see on the way there and back. Right now, her sister, Angeline, was digging at the ground near spruce trees and cutting lengths of roots used to secure the house better and to finish baskets. She was cheerful, humming at her work, glad to have gotten the better of Amakayas. She'd show Angeline, let her work until her hands fell off. Omakayas had a fun job to do. Go fetch the scissors from old Tallow, said Omakayas's mother. Without a moment's hesitation, before Mama changed her mind and remembered about the help she needed with the stinky hide, Omakayas ran off. <laughs>